0: Well, today we're back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and Paul is dealing with his church by correspondence. He's kind of like a doctor. Sometimes when you go to the doctor, you can get a pill, and then sometimes you need surgery. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it's surgery time, and surgery is never pleasant at all. As a matter of fact, you dread it, you don't want to do it. Try to avoid it, but sometimes it's the only thing that's going to work. And that's what 1 Corinthians is all about, church discipline. I'm going to read these verses, and, uh, verses 1 to 13, then we'll pray. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned, that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus." Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean that the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside, but those who are outside God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Father in heaven, we bow in your presence today as we come into these verses of scripture. We realize that they are your word, your revealed word to your church. May we take them with seriousness and help us, Father, to understand them and apply them. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul had previously pointed out one of the problems that the church there in Corinth had, the problem of division in the church. He addressed it and pleaded with them for unity and to stop exalting one Christian worker over another one. Now Paul is dealing with yet another problem, and no, no doubt that he heard about from the household of Chloe. He had heard that there was a serious case of immorality in the church. The pagan culture in Corinth had leaked into the people that were believers in the church and needed to be dealt with. Well, in these verses of Scripture, I'd like for us to point out, as Paul writes in verse 1, the need for discipline. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. Notice the seriousness of this sin. There was sin in the assembly of the believers. And sad to say, everybody knew about it. It was not just a private thing that they could deal with, with one-on-one or two people to to sit down and counsel the brother uh, that had done this thing. It had been known, and not only in the church, but also in the community. And the church had decided not to do anything about it. Just let it go. What was the nature of this sin? Well, the word in Greek for sexual immorality is the word Pornia, And you could hear the word pornography in that. And that was a general word referring to any type of sexual immorality. The, there was different kinds of sexual immorality that Paul talks about. There was the adultery kind. There was also the homosexual kind that, that was condemned in, in these uh, passages of Scripture. But this kind What was the immorality that was there that a man should have his father's wife? Now the way that it's described here, that this man had relationship with his father's new wife or his stepmother, not his own mother, but his stepmother. That's the way the scriptures portrayed it. Now this was not just a a one night stand, this was a continuous thing going on. He was living with her. And the thing that is wrong about it, the Old Testament in Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20 specifically forbid this from happening. This was uh, against God's Word. And it was also, believe it or not, in this permissive society under Roman rule, The Romans even had a law against this type of sexual immorality. You can do anything else, but you couldn't do this. So it was even uh, looked down on by the pagans in this city of Corinth that had a reputation for being sexually immoral. This was beneath them as well. Well the main problem was when Paul wrote to them is not only the problem of the individual who was doing that and continuing to do it the church refusal to discipline verse 2 he says you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you they They refused to do anything about it there in Corinth. The shameful situation didn't even seem to faze the Corinthians in the least. If anything, the affair has even bloated their arrogant spirits. And the godly response, if something like this would have happened, Paul says you should have mourned. Sometimes believers mourn when we lose a loved one. We mourn when... We are in some kind of loss when something happens in our life that takes something away. And this should have caused the believers in Corinth to to grieve and to mourn. But the church had lost its ability to blush. It even shocked them. It even said, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? This can't happen among God's people. I think society in general has lost the ability to blush. Remember when... Some things were just so reprehensible you couldn't even talk about without just causing embarrassment. We go to the Punagorda McDonald's quite a bit uh, for tea, not for Happy Meals or anything like that. I usually get my wife's tea there. And there used to be a Pizza Hut right across the street from the Punagorda McDonald's, and uh, it had been sitting empty for some time until I started to see it was being painted. It was being painted in yellow and pink and green. So I they're going to have a neat restaurant there in that Panagorda location. So uh, imagine my surprise when I finally saw what restaurant was going in there. And I could not believe it, the title of that. FK, Your Diet. I couldn't believe it. And I, I thought, what in the world? Christians and people that are decent are not going to come into that restaurant. And then I heard it was a chain restaurant. And I, I read in the newspaper a week later, it says, now, you, you people are being bad because your mind is dirty. It doesn't stand for that. It stands for foster kids. Sure, it stands for foster kids. I know the shock value. It embarrassed me. It caused me to blush. But I think they'll probably be popular. Because this world, this culture has been using that word predominantly to shock people. And it's filthy. And our society is getting used to that. And that's the culture. But what bothers me more, God's people have lost the ability to blush. It's okay with us. And it shouldn't be. This type of behavior in Corinth was something that the society would be used to. But Paul says, you've not mourned over this sinful behavior right in your assembly. He had lost the ability to blush. In his book, The Church in Babylon, Erwin Lutzer lists five false gospels in the evangelical church. Now listen, in the evangelical church... One of them he calls the gospel of permissive grace. Modern preachers, he says, say, God loves you unconditionally. And listeners here, I can continue to sleep with my girlfriend. I can continue to be in love with my addictions. But thankfully, I'm pleasing to the Lord because of Jesus. Reasoning, I love to sin. God loves to forgive. So I can pretty much do what I please. Unconditional love has been wrongfully interpreted as unconditional acceptance of any lifestyle I want to live. That is blasphemy. God's people need to live God's word. And Paul is correcting the Corinthian church for this. They've lost that ability to mourn for the sinful behavior and to do something about it in the church. Well, notice next, this incestuous relationship was going on in the assembly and the church had done nothing to stop it. So Paul has to get out his scapel. He has to be Dr. Paul. So he commands them to discipline. Verse three to five. For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. I've already judged them. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Notice Paul gives his authority to resolve this issue. Now, Paul was an apostle. You got to understand what that means. He was the ones chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul and James and John and Peter and all the others. Paul was one of those equal level with the other apostles. And he was given authority by the Lord Jesus Christ to set up the church. To establish the church that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to. And to to determine things. So he has a little bit more authority. He's on that uh, apostolic authority. He says, I have judged this guy. I've judged him. This behavior is wrong, and you are wrong for allowing it to go on. Some people might say, Oh, Paul, you must be mistaken. Did you not hear what Jesus said? Judge not that you be not judged. (laughs) Boy, you know, that has become the favorite verse of unsaved people and carnal Christians. Judge not that you be not judged. It has been the most misinterpreted passage of Scripture in the whole Bible. You know, a lot of times we say that, and what they really mean is they take that verse to mean that we are never to judge anyone else's sinful behavior. That's a perversion, a twisting of Scripture. Christians are not supposed to judge other people's motives, and we're not supposed to judge their ministries, but we are certainly expected to be honest about our conduct. They had become puffed up, instead of mourning. Well, what did Paul tell them to do? What actions were they to take? It says there in verse 5, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Paul, isn't that a little harsh? What does it mean to deliver someone to Satan? That seems wrong. How, what does this mean? How does a congregation deliver another believer to Satan? Well, when they assembled together, they were to turn him out of the church's membership with God's people and back into the world. The realm of the devil. That's where he, the devil operates. When a person gets saved, he receives Christ as a Savior and accepted into the family of believers. There's a safety net here. There's a zone of protection there. But now that they are moved out of the Membership of the church, they're back in the world's zone. Now, this person didn't uh, get this way. We're not told the backstory, but I'm sure that when someone found out about it, perhaps they even uh, had one-on-one talk and maybe there's a couple others that went. But this had become known to everybody. The church was to gather together and expel the offender. When a Christian's in fellowship with the Lord, there's, a, there's a, a protection, but now he's out in the world, he's fair game for the enemy. God could permit Satan to attack the offender's body so that the sinning believer would repent and return to God. Paul talked about this in 1 Timothy 1.20 when he mentioned two guys, of whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I've delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, what does it mean, the destruction of the flesh, that we deliver them to Satan for the destruction of the flesh? There's two possible meanings, and I've looked at various Bible commentators, and one is the fact probably some sort of remedial suffering that he would have in his physical body. Remember Job. Satan asked God permission. To touch Job's physical body. Also remember when Paul mentioned his thorn in the flesh. What did he call it? A messenger of Satan. So it's very possible that they were to deliver this person. Remove them from the membership out in Satan's domain. So that the devil could be permitted to attack him physically. To cause him to repent and come back to God. That's a very popular uh, idea. Uh, opinion. The other idea, the destruction of the flesh. Uh, That's another word for our old nature. That's another word for our sinful tendency. So what was going on here? Possibly they were delivering him to Satan that they could just feed their flesh and go out there and just put the pedal to the metal, and burn themselves out with fleshly living. And if they're a true believer in Christ, you can't keep the red line going very long before you're going to feel the guilt and the emptiness and the hunger and the desperation to get back to God. Oh, the devil has, kind of like the prodigal son, remember? When he he, he uh, embroiled himself in riotous living and he he gave all of that money and that wild life until he came to the end of himself and got hungry. And that's another possible meaning of this destruction of the fleshly nature here. So, whatever it is, the reason for the discipline in verses 5 through 8, the first reason is simple to bring the offender back to God. That was the purpose here. Not to just, well, hey, get rid of him. Good riddance. No, no. That the spirit may be saved. This indicates the purpose of the discipline is to cause them to return to God. If they continue in this behavior, it may indicate that they were not truly a believer in the first place. But there was a second reason for them to do this. And that's to keep the offense from spreading in the church. Verse 6 says, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you're truly unleavened. Leaven is like yeast. It's a picture pictured in the Bible as sin. And in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel escaped from Egypt, they were in a hurry. And they were told by God, God told Moses to prepare something to eat. But don't wait till the yeast raises the bread. Make your bread without yeast, without leaven, because you're in a hurry. And this, of course, is uh, the Passover, even today, is unleavened. And even our communion bread, we, we try to keep with unleavened, because it's a picture of sin. So this is the picture that they're trying to say. You are a lump. You are a a loaf of bread. You need to get rid of that leaven among your assembly, that, that leaven of sinfulness. If you don't, the leaven will affect the whole loaf. It will infect the church. So the second reason for this removal is Hey, brother, so and so, look what he's doing. I guess I could go do something else. I don't. I think what he's doing is kind of weird. But the church didn't think anything bad. But hey, I can get away with this. I can have my Lord and I can have sin at the same time. And the church didn't do anything about it. There is a permissiveness. There is a there is a sinfulness that that pervades the whole congregation. And Paul says, you got to get rid of that leaven. It'll affect the whole lump. The whole body of Christ, kind of like cancer does. Some of you battled with cancer, your loved ones with cancer, and maybe it appears as a, as a little bit, and you see that on the x-rays. What do you say? Oh, well, hey, maybe it'll go away. Yeah, sure, it'll go away. Sometimes it gets bigger, and then sometimes it does what? Metastasize. Metastasize. I think that's the way to pronounce it. In other words, it spreads to other areas. You need to do surgery. You need to do something to shrink it and to keep it from taking over the whole body. It's a battle. It's a battle. And Paul mentions that. Also, to keep the celebration of the Lord's Supper pure. When they... Met together, they assembled and they talked, and just like we do, as we have communion service today, uh, Christ is our Passover, and He was sacrificed for us, and He was sinless. And we, what is probably meant by these verses of Scripture is that this person, we are removing him from the membership of the church; he's not allowed to participate in the Lord's Supper. Now, it doesn't say here, but most likely. If this person wanted to show up in church to hear the gospel, that would have been permissible. Because how else is he going to hear the word if he doesn't come to church? But he was to be put out of the membership of the church, refused communion, but they could hear the word. Well, let's look at the last point here and look at the extent of this church discipline. Verses 9 through 13. Now, I I realize that this passage of Scripture is not, amen, you know, fun. This is very difficult to talk. But there's no way on earth that we as followers of Christ should skip a portion of Scripture because it causes to examine us a little bit more. We need to be faithful to the Word of God. Notice in these verses of Scripture the extent. I wrote to you in verse 9 in my epistle, not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous extortioners, idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. In other words, Paul saying this discipline involves only church members. If you were to stay away from any evil person, any wicked person, you would have to go to the moon. Or you would have to go to Alpha Centauri or whatever the closest planet is that, that can breathe air. You'd have to leave because the world is always around us. And you know, I know there's different groups of Christians who, who do try to do that. They, they don't leave the planet, but they go into some commune or go into the woods and they set up their own community, try to be away from the world as much as possible. But Paul says, no, nah, don't do that. As a matter of fact, he also says, you need to give them the gospel. You need to shine your light. You need to be the salt of the earth. You need to be there in order to witness to the lost people. So he, he means you need to have a separation from an immoral brother or sister so they could feel the conviction of their activities. Separation. Separation from brothers that are met here. Now, notice in this verse, the discipline involves all church members. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral. Or, not just this kind of sin, not just the sexually immoral people that this one guy that's mentioned here, he's Including other people that perhaps will delve into the deep end of sinful behavior by saying a covetous person, idolater, someone who starts going back into worshiping idols again. Or reviler, someone who's angry and and, uh, blows his temper in front of everyone. Or a drunkard, or an extortioner. Don't even... Eat with a, such a person, again, don't even fellowship with him again, extending that to anyone who chooses to go into this sinful behavior lifestyle like the old nature. So, pastor, this is not a fun passage of scripture. What are you going to tell us to do about it? Okay, let's make a few applications. The first application we need to really get from this passage, God is serious about Sin. And so should we. And folks, the first place we need to look is our own heart. Before you look around at the congregation and other people's sins, you need to look at your own self. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in regards to the communion service, it says this, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. In other words, we need to examine our own heart and say, Lord, is there, any, is there anyone that I hate? God, I release that anger to you. Is there any evil lust? God, purge that out of my mind. Is there anything that I'm doing that dishonors you? God, forgive me and God, help me. Deal honestly with your own sinfulness and ask God to cleanse you, especially as we approach the Lord's table in just a few minutes. Use the time, the quietness that's there to ask God to cleanse your heart. Don't think about anybody else except your own sinful behavior. And the other application I think that we need to make, we need to mourn. Mourn when we hear believers getting trapped into sin. I know... Sometimes there is this evilness inside of us. Well, that person that was a Christian leader or a pastor or a spiritual leader in our own uh, group, they fell into sin. You know, the first thing that you ought to think of oh, God, I'm so sorry that happened. We should mourn. And the second thing, God, help me never to do that. Put a hedge about me that it would not be me that's falling into that. Not as a form of gossip or say, hey, did you hear about this person? You know, you know how we do that. No, we, we should mourn and then ask God to keep us from that. God judges those on the outside world. And, and he will, folks. God's going to judge this world. I mean, uh, this coming Wednesday, I'm dealing with the tribulation period. That seven-year period of time is God, God unleashing his judgment on the earth. God's wrath is real, folks. It's going to be judged on the earth. But we are called to judge ourselves. We as believers need to judge ourselves.